0: everyone and welcome to the Motorsport F1 Season Review, looking back on what feels like a very different season in 2022 compared to a year ago. I'm Chris Medland and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Damien Smith, Motorsport Magazine Special Contributor and Mark Hughes, Grand Prix Editor for Motorsport Magazine. So hello gents, welcome back to the Review Podcast. Yeah, it's that time again already. It is, it comes around quick and a little bit earlier this year at least. It's uh, We're recording and it's still November, which is bizarre based on the last <laughs> few years, but... Uh, <laughs> If you do cast your minds back to just under a year ago, I asked you both the question at the start of that podcast, was 2021 the greatest F1 season you've ever seen? I feel like this year I can't really ask such a question. Um, but despite what was ultimately immense domination from Max Verstappen, it was really boring, was it, Damien?
1: It really wasn't. There wasn't that many dull races, which it, when you look at the results, you think, how can that be? But, you know, they were they were tended to be... Uh, um closely fought and even even when verstappen got into that run of victories from the summer um i i really tuned out from formula 1 it was hard to because there was always something going on and there were battles uh, throughout the field as always as well
0: yeah that was something that was really yeah. exciting wasn't it tabs
2: yeah it was and it had especially the first part of the season where as you said the results don't back it up but that you know the, that was when ferrari and leclerc were really given you know a, a lot of competition. In fact, quite often they were the fastest combination. And then Red Bull and Verstappen were only winning because of um failures at Ferrari. Uh so yeah, there was a um, there was a sense in that first half of the season if Ferrari can just get it right, if it can just get the reliability right, if they can just get the strategy together. This this could still become a really vintage season. But then Red Bull really clicked on in the second half of the season, didn't they? And then Ferrari more or less stayed still in fact maybe even um, tailed off a little bit in in ult- ultimate terms um especially after Td 39 which was the um tech directive about the, the the bouncing and how the the floor should be mounted um so yeah it then became one of those seasons where you're just witnessing records being broken and uh you know you, we're back into the Schumacher Ferrari era um, which has got its own you know, it, it it's, it's, it, you look back on it maybe more fondly than you think of it at the time because it's, it's lack of variation as you go into each weekend. Um, but you sort of, you were there, you were, you were there charting it and recording it of, 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 you know, records being broken.
0: Yeah. Some very impressive records. I'm glad you mentioned records because 15 wins for Max Verstappen, the most in a season for any one driver. Uh, and that would have put him quite a long way up the all-time winners list on his own, just from one season. Uh, but there was two more for Perez as well that made it 17 for Red Bull this year. Uh, on track, they were very, very impressive, but I put it to you, Damien, that is this a year where their on-track exploits will be what they're most remembered for, or is it a year where Red Bull have kind of got to fight it being overshadowed by off-track incidents?
1: Yeah, it's a good good question. I think... Um... I hope that they still get credit for what they achieved on the circuit, and um, but there is a shadow. I'm not sure the shadow is as big as some of the shadows we've seen in the past with some of Michael Schumacher's uh, championships at Ferrari, and and the Benetton 94 season is one that I always think of. That that season's always overshadowed by the controversies of that of that year, um, and I I must admit, in I I did speculate whether Red Bull would would save face a similar scenario um i'm not sure I, I, what, what do you think tabs i'm not i'm, I'm not entirely sure it's, it's it's on that level but it's um there is a shadow
2: yeah absolutely there's a shadow they went over the cost cap and the amount they went over ultimately if you discard the bit of uh where they didn't properly um apply their corporation tax rebate <laughs> when you take that out of the equation and get the actual amount that they spent more on, on performance of the car, if you like, and, and forget, you know, that they, they, they claim it was catering. It's, it's, it's all goes into one pot. Um, it was about 400,000 pounds. So that isn't going to be the difference between losing a championship and winning it by a record margin. That, that, that isn't it's just nonsense. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the scale of their achievement stands, but there's, yeah, there's, there's inevitably a little niggling itch about the fact that they broke the cost cap. The, the first time that it was really um, set at a challenging level, um, and they have been penalized for it. And I think the penalty is significant enough, especially the resource restriction, um, that it would put anybody off trying to, uh, you know, press the luck again. Even if it's not as big as obviously rivals would have liked to have seen, I think it's it's enough.
1: Yeah. How predictable? How predictable that uh, you think all those years back in two thousand and nine, when Max mosey first suggested budget caps, we all said, "Well, teams are going to break them, aren't they?" You know, and uh, (laughs) what what happens the first time we get through a full a full cycle? You know, a team breaks it, even if it was a a minor breach.
0: Well, it did. I was say, it felt A lot like uh, Christian Horner said that the Red Bull were aggressive with the way they went about their kind of financial uh, regulation interpretation uh, this season. And it came back to bite them a little bit. And it just seems that they took that view thinking, well, everyone will do the same because it's going to be difficult. All of the big teams will do this. So we have to do this to get, you know, stay on a level field with them. And instead, nobody else did. So they were left alone in that position. So I think that was what was quite surprising that there wasn't an admission that, oh, we just kind of did it differently to everyone and we'll learn from that it was more uh well everyone will everyone will push the limits so uh it'll be fine we'll all level out and uh and two of them were still waiting for the kind of you know not jumping the start shall I say and, and watching uh, Red Bull take that little leap
2: yeah I think there was an element of the other the other two teams that were nudging up against it Ferrari and Mercedes um had a lot more Consider in terms of corporate governance and, um, you know, shareholders uh, with Red Bull, independent soft drinks company, not really answering to anyone. uh, Didn't have that consideration. I'm sure that played a part too.
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, It's fascinating to see how each team does uh, apply things. And obviously we did get uh, a lot of pressure put on the FIA to come down strongly based on other teams not being particularly uh, happy without even seeing yet the full figures or, you know, officially seeing the full figures. Um, So it did make some interesting headlines, but if we try and focus on uh, the man that went and won the world championship from a driver's perspective and the driving part of things, how good was Max Verstappen this season? Damien, I'll start with you on that one. Um,
1: The short answer, he was very good, wasn't he? I mean, I think he's... I don't think he particularly went up another level. I think he's been quite a while at this level and he was just given the tools that allowed him to express himself in the way we saw. Um, And really, because the nature of the season was so different, he didn't have uh, intense rivalry like he had with Lewis Hamilton. And I think it's with with Leclerc, it was very clear there was a different kind of approach to racing uh, against the Ferrari guy. And it it just seemed um, uh, only at the end of the season when we got to Brazil and we saw... The collision between him and Hamilton—it was that it, it was a return to what we saw in 2021, and the season kind of lacked that uh, that edge um, because of Hamilton not being in there contending with Max. I think that's a, a fascinating rivalry. That one, um, Leclerc—you know—he he just doesn't. He's just too nice a guy, I think, and he's, mm-hmm. he, they know each other so long, and they're, they're you know they're peers. Whereas Lewis is a much older generation, he's the target that Max aims aims at, and I think I think personally, I think Max drives differently against Lewis than he does against anyone else. But uh, Mark, you you may disagree with that.
2: No, I don't. You saw it as early as Barre in the first race, where they were passing and repassing Verstappen and Leclerc. That is, um, and Max was giving him room, and that's just not how he races, Lewis, and he. <laughs> It, it's a difficult one because, you know, we, we talked about this in 21, I'm sure, but Lewis sometimes gives them room and sometimes thinks no. And I think Brazil was one of those occasions where I know what you're trying to do and you're not going to do it. And Max was saying, I know what you're going to do and I'm coming through anyway. And they're both entitled to do that. They're both racing drivers. And that's, that's I don't think there's any blame there. They, it's choice there. And it's maybe not the wisest of choices that each of them makes, but that's just racing. And you can play it however you want to play it against uh, one opposition. You can play it differently against a a, a different opponent. Um, But I do think that uh, Lewis was, there was the first time he's had to go wheel to wheel this season against Max. It was a reprise of 21. And I do think because it didn't really matter, he was determined to lay a marker down for next year. Just saying, no, he's still, the answer's still no. (laughs) <laughs> max is saying I'm you know it's it's still lewis hamilton so there's still that um yeah it it is it's a target it's it's a, it's a marker it means it, it means something that he has been recognized as the the number one and he's the the record holder and all the, those things i think mean something to max because he for sure feels he's the, the best driver out there and he wants to prove it and keep proving it and, uh, yeah, that that's. It, 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 I do agree that he does race differently, Lewis, to, to others.
0: Well, just to follow up on something Damien said, though, about Max's season this year, do you think that Max went up a level at all? Or were the circumstances around the car he had and the driver that was his main competitor early on, meaning that actually he didn't need to go up a level to perform in the way he did?
2: Yeah, I don't think his, um, his peaks are any higher than they've ever been. But I think um, he understood the, the level of competitiveness, competitiveness of the car that he had particularly in the latter half of the season that um there were occasions where you might have seen the old max force an issue where he didn't this this season and he still had the confidence to know that you know it, it didn't have to be this lap it could be the next lap it could be the next race <laughs> it's it, you know um he had such a a margin you know we saw in where was it uh, spa Mm-hmm. Where he's fourteenth or fifteenth on the grid, you just knew he was going to win that race. It didn't make any difference where he was starting from. He's, he had so much margin, um, and a third of the way through he was leading and pulling away. And it was you know, when you've got that sort of margin, it's um, you know it's easier to take a big picture, and I, I think that just added to his, you know, he, he, the 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 experienced in, in in the background not necessarily informing them um of the of the moment but it's just the stuff that's in there that that does actually probably contribute to how you deal with any specific split second situation
0: that spa race was remarkable as you say if i recall it correctly it was lap 12 that he hit the front having started that far back and he won by nearly 18 seconds uh, mm. So it so it's roughly a second a lap over everyone including his teammate sergio perez but that was also the point that Charles clerk says he really finally let the championship go, even though he was a long way behind. It was like, that was the one where it's like, they are just on a, for the first time he said, Red Bull were untouchable for Ferrari. If Ferrari got everything perfect, they weren't getting anywhere near Red Bull that weekend. Now, how do we view the Ferrari season in that kind of context? Because as you said already tabs that they, they started so strongly and were the main challenger, but I guess then Damien, I'll, I'll start with you on the question uh, given where they came from in 2021, but the promise that the first part of the season showed, is it a step forward for Ferrari this year? Is it disappointing? How should we really describe it?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. The perspective here is quite interesting because yeah, if you compare to where they've come from in previous years and how poor they've been for so long, this was a marked success. Um, But what an opportunity missed, surely, this season, given the 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 pace of the car at the start of the year, how strong Leclerc was, and that, that early gap that he opened up uh with two wins out of the first three races, um, to to for it to fall away so badly and so cringeworthingly as well. It was, you know, the 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 strategy problems, the mistakes that he made himself as well. Um it just got into this sort of spiral of um that seemed to affect the confidence of the team. Um, and you, you heard those radio calls where they were asking the drivers their opinion on on strategy, um, which you know, it's good to have a have a uh, have a um, you know an, an element of discussion with the driver. But it seemed like they were almost uh, rudderless by the by the middle of the year, and they really seemed to lose their way quite badly. And you know, there's now speculation about what happens to Mattia Bonotto and whether he should carry the can. And I know, Mark, you've written about. Uh, if he goes, it's like a Premier League football sort of situation where the manager, you know, it's a results-driven business. The manager p- pays the price when results don't go their way. And, you know, should should Ferrari take a slightly longer-term view that this is a good man with great experience who's a good leader? Um, but the fact is they have failed. They have failed this year, really, because they, you know, he should have taken at least Verstappen into the autumn in terms of a, a battle for the title, given the strength that they had. Uh, in an engineering capacity and in a
0: design capacity well one thing we saw from Leclerc as well early on was uh, no errors in the first few races because he himself said I don't need to push the car beyond its limits to be able to win races I've got a car that lets me whereas in the past few years yes mistakes have been there but because I've had to overdrive to try and get sixth fifth fourth but that changed pretty quickly as well didn't it the pressure of a title fight Mark that went from uh, those areas started to creep in pretty quickly and helped turn the tide very quickly in Rebels' favor. So was that Ferrari's failings hurting Leclerc, or do you think Leclerc actually didn't handle the whole situation very well himself either?
2: No, I think um it was it was mainly initiated by Ferrari, and I think Leclerc was just you know pushing like crazy as, as the, the car fell behind. Um but he, the, the problems really began with the power unit failures. Um Barcelona particularly and uh, subsequently Baku and then the um, the, the strategy is the the glaring ones were Monaco and Silverstone oh Silverstone at least um, science was there to pick up the the, the button rather than Red Bull as happened in Monaco but yeah I think they set themselves by having such a fast car from the off. They made things very difficult for themselves when they did subsequently slide down. And, you know, the the reasonable expectation of Ferrari coming into the season was that they would be competitive and win a few races. And that's exactly what they did. It's just that they were far more competitive than anyone w- was expecting in the first half of the season um and then it slid in the second half and why did it slide in the second half it wasn't that like the car got any slow it was the, the red bull continue to get quicker and quicker and quicker not just because it had a very productive aero program but also because they were taking weight out of it all the time It was grossly overweight at the start of the year something like 25 kilos so there's six tenths of a second straight away that if you can get that off you're going to be way ahead of the ferrari and they were by the time they did get it off so um yeah Ferrari, to Ferrari's credit they turned up with a car that was ready to fly from the from the off. Um, they were then struck with reliability problems and because it's Ferrari the spotlight's on you and then the pressure errors start coming and coming. But there's something clearly not um, fundamentally right within how decisions are taken there in the field on it at, at the track. And it's not a new problem. It it has been there for for years. You remember Fernando Alonso, essentially dictating strategy from the car. You remember Sebastian Vettel doing it. You know, um, I remember once um, they, they called Fernando in, I think it was Hockenheim somewhere, and he said, uh, "Why are we coming in now?" And they said, "For the undercut." And he said, um, uh, "The next guy six seconds up the road. How are we going to undercut?" Him? So, oh yeah, stay out. <laughs> but these they're they're such they're such basic things that they can't just be because somebody hasn't understood something. It can only be because they're overloaded in the moment with too many things coming at them. That, that, that It's it's not feasible that these are just failures of understanding because some of them are so obvious. Um, there's, there's got to be something fundamentally wrong with the environment there. And that's, that's been there for years. And that's something that Benotto hasn't been able to um, put right in his time there. Um, whereas he has put right the lack of creativity and the, the, the sort of following the, the the trend of last year's car and just making it, you know, so you're always half a step behind. He has put that right. And I would say that's the the, the really difficult bit, the creative bit. And he's fixed the creative bits. And that's remarkable. Um, but the underlying culture bit is still there. And that's ultimately why he's um, he, he's going to be made the the scapegoat. And uh, rather than, you know, supporting him and saying, what is it about what, what, what and, and helping helping him put it right, um, they, they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll say, right, next. And that guy will be there and, you know, if he's really good, he'll be there for a while, but he will ultimately be fired. And if he's not very good, he'll not be there for very long before he's fired. That's just how it is. Um, until the culture above the team changes, same thing's going to keep happening. And the only time it hasn't been structured like that was in the John todd ross braun era. And look what happened. It became the greatest team that had ever been seen in F1 up to that time. Before then, it massively underdelivered delivered on its potential. After then, it massively underdelivered on its potential. Right? The correlation there, and I can't
1: help think, it's causation also.
0: Hmm. Damien, I thought you had a, an extra point there. that Well, Taps was well <laughs> I,
1: I was just thinking on this point, you know, Mark, it, it, um, they, presumably they've got the best people they've got in the right roles. They wouldn't, they wouldn't think otherwise, would they? Wouldn't, why would they do anything else? So, is it a case of having to recruit? Do you think they have to recruit not only a leader uh, who maybe could come in above Benotto and maybe free him up? Maybe he should remain in his uh, in a technical role. Um, but bring in someone above him to sort of manage the the, the overall strategy of the, of the of the of the team and the company. Um, what do you think? What is it? Recruitment? I,
2: I think part of the problem is that Benotto is a product of Ferrari. He's been there since he graduated from university, and as an employee, and you cannot do that job as an employee. You've got to be the boss. And that's what Ross and John Todd were. And they formed this, I've written about it before, they formed this force field around them. Those two and Michael Schumacher, they just formed force field around them, knowing that they were the best at their jobs in the field and just said, leave us alone. Tell us the budget, leave us alone. And if anybody tried to get in between the three of them, the others closed rank and they couldn't. Nobody could get in. As soon as that was broken up, it started to fall apart.
1: The thing is, there's there's very few people in the paddock currently, any team with that kind of authority who could come in and do that that role? I mean, Fred Vasseur is what people are talking about, but is yeah. he really the, the guy to no, do that role?
2: I think he'd be another employee. It's yeah. not so much who the person is, it's how they are empowered once they're there. And I don't think they, that realisation has hit those the, the, the people above mm. the team principal role. I don't think that realisation is there because... If they do accept that, then they accept it's their fault. I'm not going to do that.
1: Yeah. But, but if you had someone, just for argument's sake, if you had someone like Christian Horner uh, come into Red uh, into Ferrari,
2: it he would, would have to be empowered in the same way that John and Ross made themselves empowered. Um, if he came in as an employee, it would make not the slightest bit of difference. Hmm.
1: But that that's would be my, the, that's my view. That would be the thing that he would have to. Um, Come in on the terms of and say yep. you've got to give absolutely. me full, full power yep. to. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: And it, I think it answers our question in a sense, though, that we kind of see this as a failure from Ferrari, but maybe not Bonotto's fault or the team's direct fault uh, this year that we're having these discussions because the flip side is we haven't really talked in depth yet as a team about Mercedes. Now, where they started twenty twenty two was remarkable in terms of how far off they were compared to red bull and ferrari and okay the season definitely got better but there was no question there of toto's position or technical director's position or or any other senior leadership position uh, being under question because they delivered such a bad car so is that a culture thing that we're seeing there too and did we see the mercedes strength of culture come through by the fact that by the penultimate race of the season they were getting a one-two
2: Absolutely, that is the culture. it's it's ownership of a problem. it's 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 total ownership of the problem by everyone um without picking out who's at fault. It, 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 there isn't necessarily blame. it's it's about how did this happen. And it's not not that it, it's your fault or it's your fault. It's just, just how did this happen? how do we and how do we put it right? Not right. let's get somebody else. That's it's it's, it's it, yes, it's absolutely that. it's it's a cultural thing.
0: And Damien, what did you make of the way the Mercedes season panned out? Because I imagine, uh, if you're anything like me, you saw the start of that uh, sort of preseason testing and then the first race and thought, this isn't right. And this can't last for very long. Uh, But it did last a long time that we were watching Mercedes be at best third quickest, but quite often really struggling to uh, even get get clear of the midfield.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like most people, I assumed that Mercedes would nail these new regulations this year. They'd pick up from where they'd left off in, you know, throughout this hybrid era, um, and so it was a major surprise they didn't. And I think the fact that they didn't make the quick progress that maybe we expected was, um, I think, the budget cap actually at work here. That actually the uh, they couldn't just throw money at it because um, they weren't allowed to anymore. Uh, and um, I think that's where the the real interest in the in the budget cap for me, beyond the uh, the, the Red Bull kind of almost red herring situation of, of the overspend. Um it it does you know you've you've got what you've got at the beginning of a season much more now than in, in previous years. Um but as as Mark says the, the culture at Mercedes is so so much more refreshing and so much um more positive. I, I think there's more chance of them responding to the problems they've had over the course of this year, learning from their mistakes and 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 bouncing back next year. Whereas with Ferrari you can't really see a fix. You can't see how they're going to get out of this um um, this this problem that they've got.
0: Well, do we give a tip of the cap to the two drivers, Mark, as well, at Mercedes in the way that they responded to the challenge? Because certainly if you're Lewis Hamilton, after the way last year ended as well, you must have been chomping at the bit to sort of fight back. And you didn't get that opportunity with the car that you had.
2: Yeah, I think he's, he's, that must have been like a real... Kicking the gut because he'll have come in there absolutely, you know, so, so motivated to bounce back from Abu Dhabi 21. And to find that he hasn't got the equipment with which to do it must have been very, very tough. And it, I'm, I'm sure it took a, a while, a few races at least, for him to get his head properly around that. Um, but he did. Um, and I think also they, um, Russell's just slotted in there perfectly. He's not, he didn't come in there as a, a support driver, he came in there as, you know, an equal number one and the possible future of the team and you know, for, for the day when Lewis retired, this is it's a su- succession plan. And he's absolutely shown that he's, he's worthy of that role. And he's done it without any real friction. Um He's just, you know, supported, He'd been supported and, and supported any decisions that have been made. And it's pretty frictionless with, with Lewis and he's delivered a, a comparable level of performance
0: over the season. Well, dare I say it then, have we seen a stronger Mercedes this year in terms of their potential with their driver lineup and with the way they did start to improve the car through the year for moving forward? Is this a team that very much will be expected to be winning races and championships again in the coming years with the current setup? Or did we see signs of weakness that say, actually, they still need to address some issues to be able to get to the level that Red Bull delivered this year?
2: I think they're, um, the, the, the car-specific problems um, were entirely to do with the new regulations, and some of the decisions made without the foreknowledge of the uh, the bouncing and aerodynamic bouncing problems um, sort of stuck them in a corner they were unable to get themselves out of, and especially because of as what uh, Damien referenced with the cost cap because um, it would have been major re-engineering. Um, so I think be, now that that specific shortfall has been understood, it's a very specific technical um, problem with, with the car that is now well understood. I don't think there's any reason they go into 23 uh, not expecting to be absolutely you know, fighting for titles again. But obviously Red Bull have got a, a head start, so... I think we we will see them back in contention, and I don't think there's any long-term reason. I don't I don't see any worrying issue there. I think it's just a specific technical issue that's tripped them up that they've then been unable to correct because of the cost cap.
1: Well, one thing I'm looking forward to seeing is Russell versus Hamilton in a properly competitive Mercedes, because although George, you know, he had a brilliant first season at the team and he he outscored Lewis over the course of the year and um, we can talk about the you know the the, um, the strengths and weaknesses of both but um, it doesn't really count for me until they're both winning races and then we really see what they're made of um, together and as a as a as a combination in terms of their relationship and whether there'll be a bit of um, a bit more angst between them once once it actually counts for victories rather than third and fourth place. Um, So I'm hoping that's what we get next year. and We'll really find out George Russell versus Lewis Hamilton, what it's all about.
0: Well, I guess the reason they weren't winning races this year was the car they were given because of the new regulations. And with Ground Effect making a comeback, Damien, I know you were uh, kind of surprised that teams were surprised uh, by porpoising becoming a phenomenon.
1: Well, I guess we're so used to former on people being uber clever and you know not making obvious errors and it seems um i just wonder if there's an inherent arrogance in in modern formula one not to actually think about the past a bit more and actually think there's some lessons to be learned um because you know so many teams were were caught out by this this ground effects uh uh, technology and you know is there a is it a coincidence that the two teams with someone with experience i.e adrian newey at red bull and and Rory Byrne still working in the background at Ferrari um, with with experience of ground effects. Those two teams, you know, suffered much less um, with the por- porpoising problem. Um, you know, why didn't they contact some you know, someone at Mercedes? Contact Peter Wright or Frank Dernier all these engineers who are you know uh, are old men now, but they've still got experience that actually relates directly to it. I was talking to someone the other day, Peter Riches, who's just retired from the BTCC as technical director. He was at Team Lotus uh when the Lotus 80 came out um uh in in 79 and um you know he remembers porpoising and the the, the troubles they had back then um as you say it's not a new thing and I, I just wondered what what actually what your 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 both your perspectives are on this whether whether um you know there there could have been lessons learned easily from the past that um F1 people didn't even think to 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 call someone
2: well I think yeah Formula One has but by nature, is always moving forward and leaving the past well behind. Um, but this is the first time that we've reverted to a more advanced technology, if you see what I mean. Ground effect was more advanced than what subsequently came because it was it was legislated out of existence. So the cars which followed were in uh, in quite a fundamental way aerodynamically less advanced than the cars of the late 70s early 80s and all the people that worked on those cars are no longer (laughs) in, in in the team so um yeah it's it's you've got this culture of always going forward we've got we've learned everything we've got to learn from the past and we just build on it and build on it and to suddenly um be in a situation where you might have actually had to go back into the past to learn about this New, more advanced technology is um, the first time that's ever happened.
0: Mm. I personally love the way that it was the approval almost to go, okay, there was was trouble with this. It was too dangerous or it was going to go too far. So it got banned. But now people are going, okay, well, then harness it. Like do it safely, do it differently, but go go and harness that. The thing that we did sort of lock away in a box and say no, no, no don't touch it. Formula One was now going, go and open the box and see what you can do. <laughs> I liked that attitude to it, but as you say, Damien, I was surprised that that the people that had originally put it in the box weren't around to say or weren't asked to say, well, what did you learn from that? Because um there is also the flip side. If we do look at, at who works where in Formula One teams. It, it tends to be people that have been around a long time around the sport that rise to the top in technical capacities uh, you don't find someone who's just or it's more rare that someone's just brought in from outside Formula One uh to to head up a technical team at the very least I know I you know could argue that um, maybe more recently Williams sort of did that but most teams it's you' you're going with people that have been around the sport for a long time now, surely that should mean a disconnect isn't that great to go back a bit further and go well who do you know that might have worked on this uh that's that's what surprised me
1: yes i, I don't think that mentality is there for some reason but it's I, I spoke to uh rory Byrne a couple of years ago during the pandemic i i managed to get hold of him on the phone and he was he was actually in thailand where he spends a lot of his time um and at the time I spoke to him, he was he was um, in a hotel room um, and was, was going to be there for for two weeks before he was allowed out. Um, so he had plenty of time to talk. But he was saying, you know, he's still uh, 78 years old now. Um, he's still active. He's still working behind the scenes. I don't know how much, but he was telling me that he plays a couple of rounds of golf in the morning, or a couple of holes of golf in the morning, not a full round. Um, when Italy wakes up, he's at work. And he's still, you know, still working away, and he's got that experience from from Tolman and some not very good ground effects Tolmans from the early '80s. Um, I, I'm I'm convinced um, that that has an influence and that has a has an effect and a positive one.
0: Now that was a problem of these new rules, but let's try and be maybe slightly more positive about it. Uh, Tabs in general with these new cars, this was a huge change, a massive change compared to everything we'd seen with previous generations of Formula One car did the new rules deliver as intended or at least close to as intended uh, in your view?
2: It didn't deliver fully, but they definitely improved things. Um, And I think the number of passes is something 25 or 30% more. Um, You could see quite clearly that the cars could follow closer um, and for longer. Um, So yes, it, it definitely improved things, but there's still further to go. And it's still, I think, would be helped enormously by more robust tyres, and because that that ends up inevitably becoming the, the limitation. But aerodynamically, I think it did much of what it was intended to do. Yeah,
0: and and did the tyres provide that step forward though as well? In, in a sense, that was that progress, or did you see Pirelli not make enough of a step? And actually, that's a bit of a worry.
2: There was a bit of a step in terms of um, they didn't turn. To, Junk within, you know, two corners of following closely. You 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 could follow close close for longer than that, but um, they, yeah, they still need further improvement. And they're doing a new front tire for next year, so let's hope that um, that that brings that improvement. But yeah, it it it's still ultimately tire limited. Um, so that's a sort of uh, a fundamental um, that Formula One has chosen to do to 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 go with a. A control tyre supplier so um, yeah you, you make it quite difficult for yourself to solve this problem um like that because i'm sure there would be a tyre solution if there was a tyre wall and i still don't see why you can't have a tyre wall within a cost cap environment
0: it would be uh it would be entertaining to see formula one go in that direction i i guess we could say though that at times when the tyres were challenging that provided an avenue for an exciting race with strategy and when they weren't a challenge then that provided the opportunity for close hard racing between these new generations of cars as well so we did get some great races through the season and uh, listeners you can vote for your favorite race actually on the motorsport magazine website as part of the end of season awards so head over there when you're done listening to us or if you're double screening you can do it right now uh, to vote for yours but uh, Damien do, do any races stand out to you as as particular highlights this season where you thought either it was great racing or Formula One at its best for, for a spell.
1: Silverstone was special, wasn't it? I think um, you know not just because it's the British Grand Prix, either we're a British magazine. I think it was a it was a great race um, as an example of a circuit that allowed the cars and the drivers to express themselves as we uh, we'd like to see uh, regularly. And I, I, that was for me was the, was the highlight. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the rules in in general were a positive. Um, they were better it's a shame they're so heavy, but that's because of the hybrid engine regulations. And that's got to be the way forward that we can't go backwards on that. So the the weight thing's always going to be there now. Uh, and I, I kind of agree with Mark really on the, on the, on the tires being the, um, the, the main focus. And it, it, it seems a shame that, um, um, I don't know, it, to me, it seems out of step with the rest of the world, that Formula One teams can use two or three sets of tires for a, an hour and a half Grand Prix and just throw them away. That that, that doesn't seem to be the right um, messaging, um, if you want to use that term, uh, in terms of uh, where the world is right now. That's That seems to be quite a fundamental mistake, I think.
0: Well, Tabs, do you think that, A, that should change and, B, off the back of that uh, from a, a race perspective were there's any highlights that you can recall from this season?
2: Um, in, in terms of the tyre equation, it's a very... Difficult one because I think um, in order to have good racing, you've got to have um, tyres which got, provide a lot of mechanical grip, and if you do that, then the wear rate is high, and then you, you're going to go through more than one set of race. Uh, if you give them wooden tyres, you know the, the, there's not much there's, there's not much you're going to be able to do with in, in in terms of racing. It's, it's going to be a strategy battle. But um, yeah, I mean there were some great races. Um, the 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 opening too in Bahrain and Jeddah I thought were terrific. Those those fights between um, Verstappen and Leclerc uh, and you know the, the each each playing the 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 DRS game very cleverly um, and yeah terrific um, I thought there was uh, the, the strategic intrigue of Monaco was great. I thought Montreal was signs chasing Verstappen and Verstappen having to be very clever with how he used his battery. There were some great races. Um, yeah, yeah. I think mean, be, before we we then got to the point of um, you know total p- performance onslaught by Red Bull in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, there was a lot of good races.
0: Yeah, you, you've mentioned a few there that do make the shortlist for everyone who does go to the website to have a vote. One thing that we were actually lacking was shock results elsewhere in terms of podiums or wins compared to 2021, because Imola was the only race we had a midfield podium, uh, and that came for Lando Norris and McLaren, but it was Alpine that won that sort of inter-team battle between the two for fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Now, we really shouldn't overlook Alpine's performances, should we, this year? I know the off-track stuff through the summer threatens to overshadow that, but there was some pretty impressive pace at times uh, from Alpine and, and Fernando Alonso in particular until his engine quite often let him down.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, Alpine have taken a step forward. Um, it, it will be a, you know, a belated one. We've been waiting for this for, for a while. But yeah, I think they were very um, consistently competitive this year. And a little bit iffy reliability, especially on Fernando's car. But yeah, I mean the, the, that fourth place is on merit of performance. It was overall a better car than the McLaren, and sometimes the McLaren got ahead of it. But that was largely thanks to some spectacular Lando Norris laps in qualifying, and as uh, the underlying performance of the two cars, the Alpine was the better car. Uh, just a little bit less reliable, and um, yeah, it had a little bit of a little bit of infighting in, in at the at the end of the season, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think genuine progress for Alpine, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing that continue.
1: I have to say that we hear the phrase "leveling up" a lot in the UK these days, and uh, this was supposed to be the season where Formula One leveled up, wasn't it, with these new regulations, and that the the midfield teams, the the Alpines and the McLarens, had a genuine opportunity to to rise into the level of a, a regular race winner, and that that obviously didn't happen. and as much as Alpine made progress, they were hundreds of points off Mercedes, who apparently had a bad season, you know, in in their in their uh, in terms of uh, relatively anyway. Um, and it does just sort of make me wonder, really, where Alpine and McLaren go next, really, because are they ever actually going to achieve or reach the level that um, their boards will expect them to?
2: Yeah, I think you've got to wait a while for the, the you know, because the other the, the, the teams that have invested heavily in the past before the cost caps came in are still going to have the momentum of that superior facilities and uh, and people, you know, the the, the 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 level of expertise in the the personnel. But as that all, you know, hopefully you see the leveling um, over a period of years, and you with the, with the. the and the wind tunnel time reduction for where the success is penalised on that. Let's um, see that play out for a while. I think it's too early to judge it after one year. But yeah, it is, it is still a, a troublingly big gap at the, um, at, the end of a, at the end of a second between Red Bull and uh, the best of the rest.
0: Yeah, and if we do look at the gap from Alpine to Mercedes in terms of points, as you just mentioned, Damien, it was 342 points in the Championship, which is is enormous. Uh, Alpine and McLaren were the only two to break 100. Uh, 173 for Alpine, 159 for McLaren, uh, of which the vast majority uh, in fact 122 of those points came from Lando Norris. Now, is this the biggest surprise disappointment shock of the season, Daniel Ricardo's form and and lack of ability to get his head round that McLaren?
1: Uh well, it was a continuation of a theme from the previous era wasn't it he you know he didn't um it, although he won at monza uh you know last year he he never really got on top of that car either and um it's just a sort of rather dispiriting kind of spiral of performance isn't it over over the course of um his time at mclaren and they had no option, I don't think, really, than to release him. And I know there's been comments sort of saying we we don't blame him for the fact we didn't beat Alpine to the uh, the fourth position. But fact is, if he if he performed anywhere near Lando Norris across the course of the year, they probably you know they had a much better chance of doing so. So um, yeah, I think just a, a very sad decline of someone who has graced Formula One with a lot of character. Um, a lot of speed, particularly in his Red Bull days um, and obviously a great overtaker. Um, but I think his time's up.
0: Well, Tabs, you're brilliant at kind of looking at how a driver matches with a car sometimes and and certainly their style's fitting or not fitting. Is his time up or do you think that there's still an opportunity for the old Daniel Ricciardo to resurface in Formula One?
2: I think the problem is the damage may have been done, you know, in, in terms of... In his own mind, yes, he, he was. It, it did mesh badly. That the, the traits of that car and and the previous years McLaren did not mesh at all with how he likes to drive a car. And it would be interesting to see and you know, put him in a in a Red Bull on a on a test day and um, with a car with a great front end. And it, does it suddenly just switch back to the old Daniel? I, I'd be surprised. I mean, it'd be nice if it happened, but I, I really would be surprised. I think um I think that takes a psychological toll that would take a, an immense amount of, to to come back fully from and it's also the problem of perception if you're ever if you're going to get that um, opportunity as well he's, he's he's perceived now for sure as, as damaged goods and you know they stuck with it for a long time two two full seasons of underperforming is 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 a long time um so yeah that, my, my feeling is Dam- Damien's right, that, that, is, that we have seen the last of them,
0: well, sadly. Yeah, that it certainly would be sad if that is the way it ends. And Daniel himself has clearly taken himself out of the environment to try and get a reset that he feels he needs. Uh, and that the, the downward spiral that you're speaking about, Damien, that it was almost impossible for him to turn around. He thinks the only way to do that is to have a clean break. But he finished the season level on points with Sebastian Vettel, who made the choice to fully walk away this year. But there were also flashes, more flashes from Vettel, I'd say, of the old Vettel at times. Some of his racecraft, some of his performances. Did question to you, Damien, it really is did he walk away too soon in your view?
1: I don't think so. I, I think um even though there were flashes of the old Vettel this year, but most of the flashes were towards the end of the year when he'd made a decision. I I felt that it was almost maybe the shackles were off the, there was a bit more freedom. Um uh uh, and he knew that the countdown was on so um i think that might be an element but no i think sebastian vettel was fantastic all time world champion but it was a long time ago and i think his time's been up for a while to be honest with you um and i think he's got an awful lot to offer as a as a as a person um and i'm fascinated to see what he does next i've i've been um you know he he kind of summed up for me i think what a lot of us might feel about modern motorsport and, and formula one in particular in the last two years he, he talked about this uh length and when he was on question time on the bbc earlier in the year you know, he was asked directly are you a hypocrite and he said yes he just admitted he is and I, you know i think we all feel a bit of this that um you know he's got uh, a real conviction about climate change and yet he loves racing cars and, and doing what we all love and um yeah, I think I think his time's gone uh, up and I think it's the right time for him to move on. And I just can't wait to see what he does next.
0: How about you, Mark? Because there were some flashes. I I was probably leaning more towards the exact answer Damien's just given until the final few laps at Cota and that battle with Kevin Magnussen that was just, even though it was over, what, seventh place at the time, it was brilliant to watch. And that's when you just see those, those skills yeah. that made him a, a top world-class driver.
2: Yeah, you just saw the gloves off real Seb there for a moment. And also his qualifying lap in Q2, that got him into Q3 at uh, Abu Dhabi, the final race, was extraordinary. And um, his engineer was saying that's one of the best laps he's ever seen any driver do. And But Seb used to do laps like that all the time, that's the point. And mm. he used to, he'd just turn those laps in on demand. And it, it's become steadily less consistent over the years and i think um yeah that might be that might be physical dimming of the skills or it might just be the lack of um, full commitment inside your own head to what you're doing but he, he still has access to it sometimes but can't turn it on on demand so yeah given that it's it's probably the right time to go
0: but just briefly then because we could do a whole podcast on this topic but uh how good was sebastian vettel how should we reflect on on him as? One of Formula One's greats. Do we put him in that kind of like top echelon of greats?
2: It's difficult because in the cars that he was driving, I, I don't think there would have been many could have reached the level of performance that he he reached in the in, in particular in the blown diffuser cars. He had a way of they were very counterintuitive cars to drive, and he had a way of doing it that I think um, most others, even even some some great drivers, would have struggled to have matched. Um, but it was a very pointy peak. And I think if he doesn't have everything exactly um as as he needs it, um the the, the drop-off is, is quite is bigger than it would be for some other drivers like a Fernando Alonso or a Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen. So it's just different. And if he was um, you know, a filmmaker and you only he threw away, or a writer, and he just threw away his, his, his less satisfactory things and the world never got to see it. You only saw his good stuff in the, yeah, absolutely one of the one of the greats. But if you have to be measured, um, you know, along every performance that you put in, every bit of work that you do, then just a little step off for some of the all-time greats, but still a very great writer.
0: Yeah, how about you, Damien? Where do you rank, Seb? Yeah, I think, as Mark says, his, his peaks were
1: as high as we've seen from anyone, I think, um, during those years um, at Red Bull between 2010 and 13. Um But for me, if, you, if you're judging, F1 careers are so long these days compared to how they used to be, and there was just too much drop-off for too many years, and I think it's interesting when you compare him around the, the kind of people who got the same similar sort of stats and in, in terms of titles... Um, they all seem to push ahead of him, I think. Um, So yeah, he deserves massive respect. And I think, and the way, uh, as I say, the way he's handled himself as a champion, I think for me is, as is, um, as is important as, as the on-track performances. Um, He is a, uh, he's a great man. That's for sure. Uh, And he was a great champion for, for a while.
0: Yeah. I think that's a a very good way of putting it. And, Obviously, he would have been expecting more from this year. I think, in terms of when he joined Aston Martin for that project, that this season could be one that that was a team that could have threatened further near the front. And in the end, Aston lost out on sixth overall to Alpha Romeo, um, where admittedly that was a strong Alpha Romeo team. Uh, it had the only rookie in it in Zhou Guanyu. Uh, now, best rookie isn't a category that fans can vote for, by the way, uh, when we talk about the end of season awards, but the uh, the categories you can vote for are best race, best, best track, best driver, best team, and best overtake, uh, of which uh, Seb and Kevin's fight is in there for that last part. But um, yeah, the, the rookie was was solidified as it was always going to be Joe Guanyu as the best rookie, but he had a solid season. What I loved, though, was the new lease of life that Valtteri Bottas seemed to get at Alfa Romeo, and... Isn't it so refreshing when you do see a driver go into a new environment and just, I think, seem to enjoy it more? And that then translates into better results. I mean, um, Mark, what did you make of kind of seeing Bottas go from Hamilton's wingman, essentially, and, and taking a bit of a pummeling at times at Mercedes to leading a team that no one was really expecting to be quite that strong, I think, this season?
2: Yeah, it was refreshing, and you saw him sort of visibly relax. You know, he just he just sort of needed to look at him in the paddock and see the look on his face and the way he was walking. Um, and you, you know, he grew his hair and he looked a bit more grungy, and it just seemed more at ease with himself in his own skin. And uh, yeah, they, they they did look to him um, for, for for a lead, you know, and I think he responded to that and was very happy in that environment. And the car was good. It was the only car that was on the weight limit at the start of the season. So there was a big performance advantage um, over the other midfield teams um, because of that. And, you know, gradually that was eroded away as the other teams sort of took weight out of their cars. You you can't take any more out when you're already on the limit. Um, But it was, yeah, it was was a handy little car. It wasn't operationally a very good team. There were too many strategy errors, too many reliability problems, um, sort of a bit like Ferrari, but further down the grid. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, he did a good job. And I think um, he played a good um, sort of mentor role with um, Joe Kuan Yew as well. And uh, there was, you may have heard, I can't remember which circuit it was at, maybe Mexico, where he was on the on the radio saying, tell Joe to attack him into turn because that's where, where the other guy's weak. He's just, you know, he just seemed very, very relaxed and um, performing well.
0: Yeah, that was Brazil and Nicolas Latifi, I think. Um, That's but, uh, right. But, but yeah, yeah, Valtteri was giving that coaching from just behind in the queue. But <laughs> yes. um, what that does say also was that at that point, Valtteri was behind Joe in that race. And Damien, what did you make of the one rookie on the grid this season? I think there was a lot of people weren't really expecting a huge amount from Joe Guanyu. But um, from my perspective, I thought he probably exceeded those uh, low expectations quite comfortably.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I think he acquitted himself very well. Um it was hard to know what to expect from him in that car um, and in that team, and I think you know, you have to look at who he was up against in 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 Bottas, and um, in in that regard, I think he did extremely well, and he certainly deserves a longer shot at it. And uh, I'm I'm very pleased that he's back for next year.
0: Yeah, he's he certainly earned that chance, and uh, as we've alluded to with Ferrari and reliability issues, I mean, the three Ferrari-powered teams all struggled with reliability issues all season. And I I believe it t- the total of grid penalties was nearly 150 grid places across the three teams compared to, I believe, if I'm remembering the stats right off the top of my head, eight grid places in total across the four Mercedes-powered teams in the yeah. season. So uh, it does show how much some of these teams were hurt. And another one of those that maybe were hurt in that same way, was harsh because they scraped over the line at the final race as well for eighth place overall. But what a story that was at the start of the season. I am asking you both to cast your minds a long way back, but Kevin Magnussen returning out of nowhere and then finishing fifth in Bahrain. I mean, Tabs, was that maybe one of the feel good stories of the season? Yeah, it was,
2: it was. And uh, Kevin was, um, you, you, we talked about the, the, the difference in um, the the. the pers- Of a Valkyrie, but I think it was um, times ten for Kevin when he came back. He was just so pleased to be back and in a properly competitive car. Yeah, within not not fully competitive, but you know, a car in which he could fight. Um, And the last time he'd been in the car, of course, it was uh, mired at the back. And yeah, I mean, he he can, he can deliver, and he 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 did. And we saw it again in Brazil with that little opportunity in uh, the in Q three. The only drive little dry window and he just nailed the lap. Um yeah, it was it was great. It was great to see. And um it was nice to see back because you worried that after two years, you know, of virtually zero investment and just just treading water deliberately not putting any money in until a new formula came on song, you worried if that would have just damaged the team. But it did, didn't it? it was sort of back to where it used to be. Um you know capable on a good day of being the best of the midfield. And um I think it was, uh, you know, I think it was a good platform to build on
0: there. Yeah, it was, it was a team that was largely led by Magnussen's results at the start of the season and he ended up with 25 points to his name. But Mick Schumacher did have a couple of races in the middle there uh, around yeah. Silverstone and Austria that stood out as impressive, but he couldn't put it all together. So Damien, you know, are you sad to see him lose his drive, especially to Nico Hülkenberg? who's obviously been around the sport for a long time. Or do you understand the Haas decision to go with more experience from next year?
1: I think with Mick Schumacher, he's had a pretty good crack at it. And I I don't think he did enough to keep the drive. And um, the choice of Nico Hulkenberg is a conservative one. Uh, It's a known quantity. Um, But when you're in a team like Haas, conservative is probably the sensible way to go. Um, It's not particularly exciting. I don't think to see Hulkenberg come back. He's he's kind of had plenty of chances himself in his career. But uh, yeah, I don't think Mick really did enough. I think um, he might be better served pursuing uh, his motorsport elsewhere. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole wide world out there as as the likes of Fernando Alonso knows and Kevin Magnussen knows. I mean, this the you know, start of the year, he was looking at a comfortable life racing IMSA in the States and a Peugeot in the World Endurance Championship. And all those things will still be there for him probably in a couple of years' time when, whenever his F1 career does finally finish. Um, but I, I, I don't think Schumacher's quite the calibre myself.
0: I think we did see uh, the flashes that showed why he was getting the chances to prove himself in Formula 1. Certainly uh, that Austria weekend, he was very, very strong. But uh, by that point, I think he did need to start to put some consistency together and certainly iron out some of those accidents in a cost-cap era. Uh, So Mark, do you kind of see that Haas have gone the right way with that as well? Because uh, it's, as as Damien said, it's not the most inspiring driver change that we've seen uh, at the end of this year.
2: Yeah, I get why they've done that. They, they you know, they, I think they just sort of lost faith a bit with Mick because there wasn't a curve of improvement. There were just these random good races, good performances over a weekend. Canada was good until the car broke, um, and yeah, as they say, Silverstone and Austria, but then it fall off again. And then you know, then he might out qualify Kevin the next weekend, and then it fall off again, and it's, you just couldn't really see where it was, where it was going um and yeah i could he could have a terrific sports car career and he might yet come back or you bounce back for another f1 opportunity in the future somewhere but um i for now yes i can understand has's decision they want um two solid point scorers someone they, 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 know, they know they can when the cars capable of it they can deliver it without question and uh yeah hulgenberg fits that bill
0: yeah and um there's two very experienced drivers there, but as you say, maybe the door's not fully closed on Mick in case he does get a reserve role elsewhere to, to keep himself involved. I mean, we saw with Nick De Vries, who I'd argue wasn't maybe ready for Formula One at the time he won the F2 Championship, but a few years later with more experience under his belt from other categories, did a great job when he got into that Williams as a one-off at Monza and obviously will be with Alpha AlphaTauri next year. <laughs> That leads to Pierre Gasly going to Alpine to replace Fernando Alonso, who's going to Aston Martin. And obviously, we've got Logan Sargent coming in as well at Williams in place of Nicholas Latifi. So as we did a year ago, we're going to try and finish positively by looking forward uh, to next season. And with those driver changes and with what we've seen this year, Damien, I'm going to start with you. What are the aspects that kind of wet your appetite for 2023? What are the things that you think we should be looking forward to? Well,
1: I'm going to be optimistic and hopeful that we'll have six drivers competing at the top of Formula One. That you'll have two two quick Red Bulls, two quick Ferraris, two quick Mercedes, and that uh, we might have uh, some unpredictable results coming from that. Um, I'm fascinated to see Hamilton versus Russell in a properly competitive Mercedes. Um, I hope Ferrari can put their troubles behind them, and uh, I, you know, I would like to see Bonotto given more time, but I think maybe he needs more support. And maybe maybe someone coming in above him to maybe manage above the way that um, Jean Todd was brilliant. At that, as Mark said, you know, he kind of managed De Montezemolo to allow Ross Braun and the, and the, the engineering team to, to get on with it. And that's what I think what Benazzo needs, but yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing, to seeing uh, three good teams, hopefully all winning. Well, I'd like
0: to yeah. think, I've, I was going to say, I'd, Go l- I'd like to think that the, Uh, Ferrari setup will, if it does change, depending on how well this podcast ages, that the car's pretty set in stone for next year. So hopefully uh, the continuation from this year and and the step forward they'd made will mean that we do have that fight, regardless of whether the management structure has changed or not over the winter. But uh, Mark, what do you think would be uh, something to look forward to?
2: Well, the obvious one that Damien's always, Damien's always already touched on is um, Russell Hamilton a competitive car going at it for the full season. Um, but the other one I'm intrigued by, really intrigued by, is Oscar Piastri's performance at McLaren alongside Lando Norris because that is one very, very tough gig. Um, a much tougher gig than um, than uh, the one he might have had at Alpine, um, going in with probably, or oh, certainly on the form of this year, a, a, an inherently faster car and uh, probably... A weaker teammate than, than Lando so it would have been easier to look good there I think but um, because of the, the way Alpine played it he's not there anymore and he's got this opportunity at McLaren and I, I think Lando has performed an extraordinary season this year in a, in a very iffy car and it was very easy to overlook because he's in that sort of no man's land away from the attention of the big three teams um, so yeah, I think Lando is is uh, ready. To, if if he put him in a title contending car, I think he's ready to win titles. Um, he declined to um, take up a, the, the Red Bull's interest in him because I think he just felt he'd be going into Verstappen's team. Um, so yeah, that's 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 a tough tough call. It's, a, <laughs> it's why Daniel left. It's why Lando hasn't joined but I do think he's performing at an extraordinary level, and so I'd love to see a good McLaren, but um, I'm not that hopeful. I think it, we may have to wait until the new wind tunnel comes on stream before we, we're seeing that. But, uh, yeah, Piastri and Lando on the same team, I think is going to be uh, quite something.
1: Yeah, Mark, I'm... I'm... Uh, it's a good point. I'm fascinated by maybe a penny for thought, thoughts of uh, what Norris is actually going through this winter when he, he considers you know his old F2 mucker George Russell do, you know in a Mercedes and he's in a McLaren that's not really going anywhere fast. Um, he's such a talent. He knows it deep down. I think his confidence has has grown over the last couple of years. Um, isn't he wasted where he is now?
2: Yeah, at the moment I agree he is, um, but it's uh, just you know, have to see how things these things play out over over some years i think and um yeah i, I don't know I, it, it's it's a it's a frustrating thing to witness somebody that good waiting this long to get to get their car um but i think we will see it but whether it will be a good mclaren or a, a good something else uh, i don't know
0: Where my excitement stems from is the potential for the field just to close that little bit more based on how strong some of these teams now are. And each one seems to have a standout lead driver. Um, Now, uh, Alpine, maybe not after this year with Fernando Alonso leading, but Espen Ocon still did a solid job. As we said, Lando Norris at McLaren, absolutely super, like it has been a superstar this year. Then you go to Aston Martin now and Alonso's going in there. We talked about Bottas earlier with Alfa Romeo and the job he's been doing there. Same with Kevin Magnussen at Haas. Alex Albon, I do want to give him a quick mention before we wrap up. That Williams at times put in some great performances as well. So there seems to be an experienced, good standout driver at pretty much every team up and down the field. Realistically, you know, we could mention the Alpine lineup, or we could say the AlphaTauri one. But AlphaTauri's role is meant to be to prepare drivers for Red Bull. So um, I like the potential that each team has if they can give the give their drivers, or at least one of them, a competitive car. Hopefully with these new rules as well being a bit more restrictive in development avenues, it might actually start to bunch up a little bit more um, next season than in previous years. It it, used to take a full generation of regulations, didn't it, to bunch the field up? Hopefully that happens more quickly this time. But speaking of those great drivers, just one final plug before we go for the uh, awards that you can vote for, the end of season awards on motorsportmagazine.com you've got until the 22nd of december to vote on those lando norris is up for driver of the year alongside a few others i won't give away all the shortlists i'm going to try and tease you all to make your go and have a look now so uh, as soon as we sign off please go vote do it uh, and you can hear about the winners uh, around christmas time but for now thank you very much damien and mark for your time it's been much appreciated Uh, everyone you've been listening to the motorsport magazine end of season review for 2022 Uh, have a great christmas and new year Thank you